This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. For a company that started the equity cult in India, its annual general meeting with shareholders has always been an event as large as its operations. Always a family affair. It is his vision, Dhirubhai's vision and values that have guided us in this magnificent journey of reliance. Where every member of the family plays a critical role, from the adults to even the gen next. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Isha Ambani. And I am Akash Ambani. Always dramatic with even some of the top global CEOs making cameos. We have with us a special guest, the CEO of Google, Indian icon, Sundar Pichai. I have with me today the CEO of Qualcomm, Mr. Cristiano Amon. I am delighted to welcome Yasir Al Rumayan, Chairman of Saudi Aramco. Two trips down the memory lane, nostalgic, sometimes high with melodrama and value systems. For the first 25 years, I sat by the side of my father, who tutored me with boundless affection, attention and hope. I can feel as if he is sitting here, smiling and talking to me and to all of you. And of late, a platform to make mega announcements. AGMs have never been so high voltage for any Indian corporate. It's Thursday, 1st September. From the Economic Times, I'm your host Kalpana Patak, and you are listening to Reliance AGM 2022, The Morning Brief Takeaways. In this episode, we asked three of our colleagues, Ritankar Mukherjee, Kalyan Parbat, and Aurajit Barman, What's their key imports from the AGM announcements for the three main verticals, retail, telecom, and energy? Pratankar is ET's in-house expert on retail. Welcome to the morning brief. What does RIL's announcement about expanding into the FMCG segment mean for the company and the sector? So Reliance uh, has been trying to expand the retail business uh, beyond the core area of organized retail. They have been telling us that organized retail is just 8 to 10% of the Indian retail market. And okay. they have that much space to grow. Whereas if they can enter into the wholesale business or eventually FMCG, that would be a much bigger pie of the market. So as you know, they have already tried to make an entry into the wholesale segment. And they have already started with uh, Kiranas and also for electronics and apparel. So that pie they have already done in the last two years. And FMCG is going to be the focus area now. So they would initially sell through their own stores. And also they have around 15 lakh Kiranas into the network right now who source products from their network. So they would reach out to them. And eventually they would have a proper distribution setup reaching out to multiple Kiranas. But that is still work in progress. So it's basically a strategy to scale up the retail business and maybe have a larger pie of the market than just organized retail. So what is Reliance Retail's market share right now? Going by the revenue, they are no doubt the largest. And the nearest competitor would be DMART, which is Avenue Supermarts. 
they would be uh, around one third the size of RIL in the core retail business. So they are three times bigger than the nearest competitor. And the rest of the companies are much, much smaller in terms of revenue or profit. And what does Reliance Retail's FMCG expansion mean for the HULs and ITCs of the world? Now, getting into FMCG and competition with uh, pure FMCG players like HUL, ITC or Goodrich Consumer would be too far-fetched to compare right now because FMCG is a very different business. It requires a distribution network. It requires understanding of consumer behavior as well as investments on marketing and brand building. So it's a long-term play. As we know that ITC has tried to do that in the last 10-15 years and they are just still now uh, just a 15,000 crore company in FMCG. Far behind their target to reach 1 lakh crore revenue by 2030. Even if the pandemic was not there, it, I think that was an ambitious target. So it's a very different ballgame. There are already players like HUL, which are here for lots of years. Nestle and all these companies have a far deep distribution system and these distributors are very loyal. So they're unlikely to change grounds. So we should not compare their FMCG play with some of these large brands. I mean, the Reliance is obviously going to be aggressive, but it's a different ballgame. So what do you think would be RAL's strategy for the FMCG space given its formidable private labels presence? So what we understand from the management is that they have a private level presence which they would take out to the open market to Kiranas. And that apart, they are looking at multiple acquisitions which would be uh, local regional brands or brands which were popular at one time and now has probably died or not that relevant. They have tried that in electronics. They have licensed two brands which were very popular at one time, BPL and Kelvinator. It's their own licensed brand and they have relaunched the brands with a lot of new products and they have been quite successful. And now they have also started selling those in other electronic stores. So they have tried and tested that model and they are going to replicate that in FMCG as well. What we understand is that they are already in negotiation with two dozen such local and regional brands and they have already signed the deal with at least three of them including one of the legendary soft drink brand Campa uh, or Campa Cola, if you remember, in the 70s and 80s. So they have already signed that brand, they have acquired the brand and they will be relaunching the brand. And they are in negotiation with multiple such brands. So that's a strategy they would look at. Apart from taking their own private levels, which are doing reasonably good in their own stores, accounting for 20 to 30% of the category sales, be it uh, your groceries, your uh, soaps or shampoo or even uh, your grooming products. So it will be interesting to see how they do it. But again, whether a consumer would prefer a Lux soap or a soap launched by Reliance, that's something we need to watch out for. Unless they acquire a soap which is popular in the market and which consumers are aware of. So it will take some time till they build a proper portfolio and take it to the market. So it won't be just private level, but even third-party brands. And that would be very critical for their success. Mr. Ambani told shareholders that he will share an update on the planned IPO of Reliance Retail and Geo in the annual general meeting next year. How do you think these strategies will strengthen Reliance Retail when it hits the market for an IPO in future? So these strategies of uh, whether it's the B2B retail, which they're looking at, which they call new commerce, 
or FMCG will uh, be vital because that will add scale to the company. So we know that uh, new commerce and e-commerce, as in both B2B and B2C e-commerce together, accounts for around 20% of the revenue. And this is just in one and a half years. So FMCG will again play a role in scaling up. But FMCG is also a business where you need to do a lot of category investment in the beginning. So a lot of money is required for investment that impacts your margins. So it would be an interesting thing how they balance the margin play, whereas trying to get a higher share of the top line. But they might be postponing it for one or two years just to ensure that the scale of the business increases much more with both FMCG and new commerce or wholesale, as they call it. Another cog in Reliance's growth wheel is Reliance Geo, which is betting big on the 5G segment. Reliance will invest Rs 2 lakh crore in Geo by 2025 and deploy the latest version of 5G called Standalone 5G. Kalyan Parbat, who has been tracking telecom for two decades, tells us how important is 5G and Standalone 5G for Reliance. Kalyan, welcome to the morning brief. Pleasure, pleasure. Kalyan, if you could help me understand why is Geo betting so big on 5G? So basically, the industry is down to essentially two strong players and one weak, struggling telco. The opportunities are enormous. The use cases are just starting to develop. The handset ecosystem for 5G is also developing pretty rapidly. So it's a perfect time to get into 5G to, you know, launch networks and make the most of the use cases and the ecosystem that's evolving. And Geo, as the uh, undisputed telecom market leader with an over 40% revenue market share, with a countrywide arsenal of over 400 million 4G customers, is just perfectly geared to take the plunge and further consolidate its, you know, mobile broadband play. Could you help us understand what is a standalone launch and what is the difference between standalone versus a non-standalone? In this case, a standalone 5G network is one that purely runs, that is not dependent on existing 4G network infrastructure, you know, or spectrum or any of that. It is a network which is totally dedicated to 5G mobile broadband communications. So that's what a standalone network is. Whereas a non-standalone network typically rides on existing 4G infrastructure and spectrum and uses some 5G airwaves as a combination, as an add-on to you know, generate the kind of 5G-like speeds on a basic 5G infrastructure. So that's what non-standalone is. And worldwide, majority of the 5G action that you're seeing currently is on through the non-standalone mode, which is popularly known as NSA. Uh, in the sense, no, over 90% of the 5G traffic that you have worldwide is all passing through non-standalone 5G networks. So that way, standalone is still in its infancy and will take some time to really catch on. Although it is reckoned to be a superior form of 5G. And how will it be a standout feature for Reliance Geo? They are the guys who have invested in you know, Pan-India 700 megahertz spectrum, which they're planning to use purely for their standalone net 5G network. Geo is of the view that with 700 Pan-India spectrum, they would be able to offer a real 5G kind of an experience, speeds, superior in-building coverage, superior coverage in rural areas, which would typically 
And since you would require fewer number of towers in rural India to, you know, roll out a 5G network, so which would be effective, you know, from a cost perspective. And on top of that, they've got Pan India 700. So they're in a position, you know, to do what they call carrier aggregation, which is, you know, they can combine all the airwaves, the, the disparate airwave brands that they have to offer a cocktail, a unified, you know, high-octane data highway offering. It is pertinent to mention here that when Reliance announced its intent to venture into telecom, the industry was skeptical. After four years of scrapping the non-compete agreement with his younger brother Anil, Mukesh Ambani in 2014 founded the telecom startup Reliance Geo. Geo launched services in September 2016 and within a year had 100 million paying customers. Ambani told the shareholders that Geo has broken one world record after another and proved the skeptics wrong. Kalyan, do you see a similar script being played out with Reliance's 5G bet here? Will SA help Geo gain more market share? And what about competition? Clearly, SA is expected to be a superior form of 5G, which will allow Geo to offer real low latency applications, particularly and very strong in building coverage in urban zones, which would obviously give any telco a head start in acquiring top-end customers. Because if you can offer superior broadband coverage in building broadband coverage inside buildings in densely populated zones, that is a huge driver for market share expansion. So when Mr. Ambani says that 5G standalone is the best, do we have the handset ecosystem to match that? Or is there a disconnect there? It's not going to happen overnight. The devices ecosystem around 700 is still developing. The handset ecosystem does not exist as of now. Yeah. If the devices ecosystem, you know, sort of matures, if it, be, if it evolves rapidly, you know, standalone you on the 700 band can become a very powerful value proposition from in the 5G sweepstakes. Can you give me some color on... What is the competition doing with regard to uh, 5G? And what is the Geo X factor? The Geo is typically looking at using a standalone network to do machine-to-machine communications, network slicing, metaverse. Metaverse, as you know, is going to be the new age business in a virtual world, which is going to be driven by 5G technologies such as augmented reality, virtual reality, blockchain, and Insofar as what competition is doing, Airtel has announced Pan-India plans. The first wave of launches will happen in October and the Pan-India launch is expected by March. But I would say Airtel is keeping the faith on the NSA, non-standalone mode, because that is the one which is more evolved globally with over 90% of worldwide 5G traffic running on such networks. Airtel is also convinced that NSA 5G architecture would be more cost-efficient it would off, it would you know typically offer the advantages of sweating its 4G assets better. It would also leverage a more globally established network of gear makers to be the early bird in the 5G space because you have the benefit of the ecosystem, unlike a 700 system, which is still to mature from a handset ecosystem perspective. But you know the geo has always been you know a disruptor. And there are very strong parallels with their 4G entry. If you remember when they came in with 4G in 2016, the older players like Airtel, then the standalone Vodafone idea, 
and standalone idea cellular, they were all doing 2G and 3G. But Jio went ahead and came in with a pan-India 4G network. They came out with a completely different technology. And regardless of the fact that there were over 300 to 400 million 2G users at that point of time. So they didn't really care. So they took a very contrarian stance. Now we see similar parallels emanating this time round too. They're coming out with a standalone 5G network. They are betting big on a standalone 5G network. So, so which is why they are betting on a technology of the future. They have a very integrated, a holistic 5G game plan. So obviously it's, it's totally thought out. Mr. Ambani mentioned private networks in the speech and that's where Adani is also making plans. A tech mm-hmm. players or to want the same. So will standalone 5G give you an, an edge in this particular segment? Yeah, so definitely private networks, smart factories is going to be a huge use case once standalone networks truly evolve and the ecosystem matures. So like I said, all these things, including machine-to-machine communications or driverless cars within you know, complexes like ports, which Adani is typically looking at, all these things would become very realistic you know, use case once the ecosystems around standalone 5G matures. That is, like I said, that is still some distance away. Right, point taken. Geo has taken digital mandate to the villages, no doubt. But what about the ARPUs to sustain one's 5G investments? <laughs> That's a great question. In fact, Geo is putting in 2 lakh crores. Right? That's what Mukesh Ambani, Reliance chairman, announced. Now, Goldman Sachs has apparently said that you know Geo will need to boost its annual operating income and revenue to the extent of 32,000 crores and 50,000 crores to generate double-digit returns post-tax. So now that's not going to be a very, that's not going to be a cakewalk, right? And Goldman Sachs also estimates that Geo would need to boost its monthly ARPUs by at least another 100 rupees a month. They need to rise from 176 to 276. Geo will be facing a tough opponent in Airtel, which has a strong balance sheet with a low leverage ratio. So till Geo actually increases the ARPU, who cross-subsidizes the ARPUs? Clearly, one of the biggest challenges for Geo is going to be to monetize, to generate double-digit returns on its 2 lakh crore 5G investment. Worldwide, 5G mobile hasn't really generated meaningful incremental ARPUs for telcos. Telcos around the world are banking on enterprise solutions. So I don't see very dramatic ARPU you know, growth in the near term uh, happening. My sense is unless the 5G enterprise revenues turn meaningful, all the telcos are going to be looking out for regular opportunities to hike mobile 5G mobile broadband tariffs. So consumers like you and I will end up paying more to you know, generate the ARPUs for the telcos. As part of Reliance's pivot from fossil fuels to new energy, last June, the company decided to spend rupees 75,000 crore in setting up four giant factories in the renewable energy segment. This year, it committed another rupees 75,000 crore in petrochemicals. What does it mean for the company? Let us hear from Aurijit. Aurijit, welcome to the Morning Brief. Let me begin by asking you, how do you see this year's announcements on the energy front? 
good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, this year's announcements on new energy, I would say, were merely top-ups. The foundation has already been laid or was laid last year. So these would be, you know, the additional toppings to a pizza. So there is one more gigafactory now for power electronics, clearly to offset the overwhelming influence of China in the global supply chain. So one more gigafactory in addition to the four gigafactories. The management also came up with some timelines, such as production of battery packs by 2023 and up to 50 gigawatt per hour capacity by 2027. Stiff timelines, but now we have more clarity that the clock is really ticking and ticking fast. Finally, they also made an announcement, which I would say again, more of a top-up, that the commencement or the beginning of the transition from gray to green hydrogen, which is gray means hydrogen, which is comes out of LNG or gas, to green hydrogen, which is hydrogen which is fired from renewable sources, That'll begin by 2025. So all in all, I would say more incremental. How do you see RAL's new energy push versus peers, and especially when RAL is talking about a manufacturing ecosystem being in place? That's the difference. You yourself said it, that so far in India, most of the renewable companies have been IPPs or independent power producers. Look at Renew, look at Greenco, look at even Adani. First push was to generate solar or wind power. Now, here was Reliance that was actually talking about manufacturing. Now, I would guess, and they haven't openly said that, the reason why they were talking about manufacturing and not so much of generation, and generation only for captive requirements, is because generation means tremendous government overlays. Whether it's a central government, whether it's a state government, remember power is a concurrent subject. So state has a say, the center also has a say. And often we've seen the state and the center has been at loggerheads. Discoms, a key buyer of power from these generation companies, are all bankrupt. So why get into PPAs, which could potentially get reneged? Why get into this tussle of free power and the politics involved around power? Instead, focus on manufacturing because that was also coinciding with the manufacturing push that the Prime Minister Modi's government was actually catalyzing. So the difference, fundamental difference, is not so much generation, but more manufacturing. And at the same time, as I said, it's not shying away from a generation. 20 gigawatts, it is still generating. That's a huge amount of solar power generation. But... As of now, all that they're saying is it's only for their own needs at Jamnagar, which is the mega refinery, and for the mega or the giga factories. Very well. But do you think it lacks expertise? Because, I mean, RAL spreading itself too thin with solar, green hydrogen, battery, bioenergy, and now offshore wind as well. Yes, that indeed, if you ask me, is a challenge. Although... Nobody can doubt Reliance's ability to execute mega complex projects. But still, this is virgin territory. Also, because the technologies involved at the back end to make it all work, they are fast changing. So unlike telecom, where it had some experience in the past, 
this is more like they followed something very similar to retail, which is you build, but you also buy. It's taking divergent bets, cutting across technologies, buying and investing in companies with competing technologies. So it's investing in lithium companies which are into lithium-ion batteries. It's also investing in companies like Faradian, which is into sodium cell. Now, sodium and lithium, they compete. So it's more like a venture capital play. You spray and you pray. Multiple punts, but if one clicks, it's bonanza. So talking of batteries, Arjit, you've already touched upon that. But I wanted to ask you, of all the technologies in battery that RAL is backing, which one do you think is the most exciting and why? Well, to me, the most exciting is sodium. So the Reliance is expecting to start production of battery packs from next year onwards. Now, why is sodium so exciting? Lithium-ion battery is ubiquitous and omnipresent. It's from smartphones to Tesla's cars. Lithium-ion batteries are everywhere. So here is Mr. Ambani, one of the richest men in the world, who made a small bet, 136 million to back a startup from Oxford, UK, that is working with the humble sodium. Sodium say namak banta hai. It's the basic chemistry behind salt. So it's it can't get more basic than that. Now, why do I say it's more interesting? It's because for one thing, sodium is abundantly available. I was reading in a Bernstein research that the Earth's crust has 300 times more sodium than lithium. Now, the global adoption rate of electric vehicles is currently so high and it's so fast that it's not just lithium, but high-grade nickel, cobalt, practically anything that goes into the EV battery ecosystem is getting scarce. So the first time ever, battery packs are more expensive in 20. 22. So, coming back to sodium, it makes sense to back a technology that's as cheap as the traditional lead-acid batteries and requires ingredients that are so easily available, easy to source. To put it simply, Mr. Ambani is not getting into a space where the Chinese are already up. He's getting into a relatively newer play where the Chinese have not yet mastered or cracked the formula, and there are no other serious deep pocket players anywhere in the world, including in India. This is why sodium is strategic, and this is why sodium is, to me, the most exciting story. As Reliance aims to grow, Ambani and his team is leaving no stone unturned in grooming daughter Isha and two sons Akash and Anand. And even as the three learn the ropes, the company and the family are set to be putting in place a limited liability partnership structure, considered an efficient way of succession planning, tax planning, and wealth preservation. Orijit, for the first time, Mr. Ambani officially indicated what the roles for NextGen will be at Reliance. How do you read that? Well, there was a lot of speculation that this time, not only will he uh, spell out the succession plan, but he will also give enough indication of a demerger. I would say there were, in both cases, there were enough and more hints, but the dice was already rolled way back in June. You know, if you remember, end June, 
Mukesh Ambani actually stepped down from the board of Reliance Infocom Limited, which is the group's telecom arm, to make way for his son Akash, right, to take over as chairman. So that to me was the first chapter. Now, this time around, he's clearly said Akash was the first amongst equal, very carefully worded speech. He was very, very clear. He, they, they are the first amongst equal because uh, Reliance is also trying to portray itself as a professionally run company. Daughter Isha, more the super boss of retail and youngest of them all, Anand, to spearhead the new energy business. The old legacy oil to chemical business basically now runs on autopilot. Uh, Anand already oversees that. New energy will be the additional one. But he didn't go all out to, you know, give the brass tacks or go go granular. Uh, and it's unlikely that Ishambani is going to take over as the chairman immediately. Probably maybe towards the end of this fiscal. Isha definitely will get straight into the holding company of retail because retail's corporate structure is similar to that of telecom. Since October 2014, Akash and Isha are formally given the business roles. But there is no Ambani family member on the board of the operating retail company. I'm not saying this. ROC data says this. And that is unlikely to change in the future as well. There are people who are close aides of Mr. Ambani, Mr. Subramaniam Venkatachalam, uh, who's the MD, the MD of Reliance Retail Ventures, doubles up as the whole-time director of Reliance Retail Limited. Now, it's unlikely that Isha Ambani will become the boss of the operating company. Why? Because according to Reliance's officials and people we spoke to, they feel retail is a more sensitive, politically sensitive. There could be lawsuits. There could be several other issues. So they want to keep the family insulated. So as per the Companies Act, one cannot become the chairperson of a company without first being a director of the company. And shareholders decided their board of directors. And the board of directors in turn decide the chairman of the board. So what that means, you have to become a member of the board first to become a chairman. So that means Isha is unlikely to become a chairperson of Reliance Retail Limited, which is the operating company. Instead, over the next few years, you will see both Akash and Isha getting elevated straight as chairpersons of the telecom and the retail holding companies simultaneously, while Mukesh Ambani takes a more strategic role. Anant, he's still learning on the job. And that's something that Mr. Ambani also said in his speech. Oil and gas has always been his forte, his passion. He spends half the time in Jamnagar. So naturally, as a corollary, he is also getting involved in the new energy because that's an extension of the legacy business. It is said that when Mr. Ambani inherited the oil and gas business from his father over two decades ago, the blueprint of the expansion into retail and telecom were already laid out. And as India's most valued company charts out the next course, Ambani isn't retiring yet. He has been emphasizing on his vision for the internationalization of Reliance, possibly why Reliance has been making bids for overseas deals like it recently did for the British chemist chain Boots. 
and of course not to forget his call for top notch talent from india and around the world at the agm on monday it however remains to be seen how far will reliance go with gen next at the help you were listening to reliance agm 2022 the morning brief takeaways with me kalpana patel thank you ratankar kalyan and orjit for your insights producers for this episode are surubhi modi and anupriya bahadur sound editor indranil bhattacharjee executive producers are anupriya bahadur and orjit barman if you like this episode please do share it on your social media the morning brief airs every tuesday thursday and friday do tune into et play our latest platform for all audio content including the morning brief thank you for tuning in